Hello and welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Kate Martin, lead ranger in the Northwest. Today, I'm visiting Cragside in Northumberland, which was once inhabited by a scientific pioneer known as the Magician of the North. There I'll be buckling up for a unique safari ride, discovering a world where fantasy and science collide. journey is taking me through some truly remote Northumberland countryside. The road I'm on is a twisty, windy road that's going through at the moment, this open expanse of moorland. It's just covered in heather. But then on my other side, a real contrast. It's a dense conifer woodland. And I know Cragside is in the middle, but it really feels like it's a secret world in there. I think we're getting closer to Cragside now. We're at the bottom of this big rocky outcrop just covered in these huge pine trees. It feels very remote and quite rugged, like I've got out to start a hike through the Rocky Mountains or somewhere in the Alps. It's actually really hard to believe that we're in a landscape garden. My next step is I'm going to go to the formal gardens to meet our guide for today, who's Sheila Rayson, and I'm guessing that's going to be more like the English country gardens that I'm used to. There's a nice iron gate in front of me with welcome to the formal garden. Topiary, lovely lawns. I can see these really cute little cosy cottages. And then I can see in front of me glass houses, which is what you'd expect in this Victorian garden. I think the only thing that really puts this one apart is all around me I can see wild hills. Feels like you're in this little oasis in the middle of the wilderness. Stand in front of me, this must be Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Kate something I really noticed when we were coming in you know I came through the open heathland and then obviously coming into the area around Cragside you've got this really dense conifer woodland and then you've got a beautiful lake there's the crag it's really diverse amount of habitats in what feels like quite a small place. The landscape at Cragside is almost entirely artificial it actually began life as a heathery moorland and it was transformed by its owners into what you see today some areas of the landscape were actually blasted with dynamite to reshape them. That's pretty hardcore gardening. Cragside is the ultimate designer garden. Now we're in a formal garden, which, no offence, feels a bit bland compared to the rest of the area around me. So why have we started here? To us, what you see in the formal garden does seem really familiar, but to the Victorians, this was very cutting edge. The Victorians were great inventors. Technology was moving on very fast. A lot of these lessons were learned through the Industrial Revolution, and some of this was translated directly into gardens. My name's Caroline Eichen. I'm a curator with the National Trust. There was all sorts of new tools and gadgets available to make gardening easier, and it really democratised gardening. A good example of that is the lawnmower. All of a sudden, not just the rich and wealthy landowners could afford to have a perfect lawn, but everybody in their suburban gardens could achieve much the same effect at fairly affordable rates. Prefabricated greenhouses meant they could grow their own plants at home. The rubber hose was developed, which obviously made watering plants a lot easier. 
the ones that have had a real lasting use have seen the test of time. But also, the Victorians just came up with some crazy ideas. Watering cans with multiple spouts to enable you, presumably, to water lots of plants at once. Cucumber straighteners, which would help your cucumbers to grow straight. Just because they could invent things, often they did. So do we owe quite a lot to the Victorians? Absolutely. A lot of the ways that we garden today are due to how the Victorians developed the technologies to garden. Another thing that the Victorians made popular was rock gardens. And I'm going to take you to a place that has the ultimate collection. Ooh, sounds exciting. We've only maybe walked out the formal gardens for a couple of minutes and it already has a noticeably different feel. Yes, the landscape suddenly becomes much more rugged. The waterway that you can see is the Debden Burn. The little waterfalls and cascades were actually changed and manipulated to make sure they got the best angles for the best-looking waterfall. So set a wooden footbridge over this babbling Debden Burn and on the other side, it feels like we're walking into Narnia. We are now walking through the Pinetum, which is basically a museum of trees. And it's actually home to some of the tallest of their kind in the country. There's this amazing Douglas fir that I'm standing next to now. Even when I crick my neck back, I cannot see the top of it. They're enormous, but they've had plenty of time to grow. Some of them are about 150 years old. Wow. Crossing this bridge, it looks almost like a gangway to a ship. This was created to really show off. We call it the Iron Bridge, but it's actually made out of steel. It's very much more in keeping with what you might have seen during the Industrial Revolution and the shipbuilding. This is the rock garden, and it's actually the biggest sandstone rock garden in Europe. I'm not sure this is what I would call a rock garden. I think this is more a boulder garden. These things are huge. You definitely get a workout yeah. while walking up through the rock garden. Trickling through the rock garden is cascading waters. These were also engineered by the owner. You can just see the house sort of emerging out of the trees above. We just got to the top onto a flat bit of road. That was a heck of a climb coming up. This is a, a really amazing house. It's like a sort of Bavarian castle with all its turrets. I have to say, it does look a bit familiar, the house. So hold that thought. If I show you this cliff, it might jog your memory. OK, so it says Lockwood Estate, Northern California, and it's like a drone shot flying through some trees. Ah, and there's the house. This is one of the... Jurassic Park franchises, isn't it? It is. So Quagside House was Lockwood Manor in Jurassic World Hidden Kingdom. Wow. And it's also in the first five minutes of the latest film. Wow. So I'm guessing it's not a dinosaur collector who had this house. So who, who lived here? Well, if you head over into the house, Clara Wolford, our property curator, will explain all. Just walking through the courtyard, in front of me is this arched entranceway. You can see all the flowers in the stained glass above. I'm just going to head into the house. There's a lady standing in front of me, so I'm guessing this is Clara. Yes, yeah, hello. So who owned this magnificent house? It was created by William Armstrong and his wife, Margaret. So this is the library here at Cragside. It's full of objects that they've collected from around the world. 
But the thing I want to show you are these lamps. That's a beautiful lamp. Isn't really, it? It's really unusual. So this is the real wonder of Cragside. So we are the first place in the world to be lit with hydroelectricity. Armstrong is probably the most famous Victorian engineer you've never heard of. He is a pioneer of using water as an energy supply. And he becomes, while he's here, the inventor of hydroelectricity. He was a complicated figure. He made his initial fortune through engineering, what actually allowed him to have the wealth to create somewhere as spectacular as Cragside was that he sold armaments. We talk about Cragside as being Britain's original smart home, and that's because Armstrong is really applying industrial technologies to his house. There's lots of mad contraptions here, including the water-powered spit in the kitchen, the hydraulic lift that helped move visitors' luggage. There's also the cascades in the rock garden. It's amazing! Because this was such an amazing home, Armstrong was known as the magician of the north. The house is just open to visitors and it's getting quite busy in here, so if we head outside and we can talk a bit more about Armstrong. So visitors to Cragside were really amazed by the house, but they were just as impressed by the grounds and the gardens that surround the house. Cragside gives Armstrong the ability to build these huge lakes, some of them up at a height, and that gives him these big bodies of water that can power his experiments with hydropower. But he's also all about the drama. You know, he wants somewhere where he can create these spectacular landscapes. I'm sure you want to explore the gardens. So your carriage is just arriving, Kate, in the form of a jeep. I'm going to leave you here with my colleague, George Haps. George is about to take you on a safari round our carriage drive, so a six-mile route round the estate that lets you explore by car all the wonders that are here. So far, we've got this wonderful fantasy landscape. We've got this enigmatic entrepreneur, and now we've got a jeep. I'm starting to feel like I'm about to walk into Jurassic Park. Maybe. Welcome to your safari ride at Cragside. Please keep your hands in the vehicle and keep a lookout for the rare and exotic species. Sitting in front of the Jeep here with George, and we're passing out of the courtyard onto a narrow tarmac road. Going through this magical and very craggy landscape. So, exotic species, what species are we going to be looking for today? Well, this is not a dinosaur safari, this is a plant safari. All the tree species and the shrubs that were planted here were all brought in from the Himalayas and from North America to create this landscape. The whole Victorian era is characterised by this complete dominance over nature. There was a huge number of new plants coming into Britain that enabled the Victorians to show that they could take plants from anywhere in the world and they could make them grow. The Victorians were sending out plant collectors to all parts of the globe. People like Joseph Hooker is well known for the rhododendrons that he brought back from India and the Himalayas. And Reginald Farah collected a lot of alpine plants for rock gardens. Plant collectors were putting themselves in tremendous amounts of danger, going into uncharted territory sometimes. It's not always a heroic tale. There was a lot of tales of violence, of colonial exploitation. 
a lot of the ships that were transporting these plants were also used to transport enslaved people. There was definitely a big commercial element. The plant would come in and then the nurseries would hybridise them to make them more suited to the British climate or to create different colours that were more attractive to the British market. It's really lush both sides of us, these massive trees and huge ferns. Cragside's a place of spectacle, but there's something especially show-stopping to see today. For a few short weeks of the year, the landscape starts to change. Early to late spring, we start getting inundated with phone calls and messages from people asking when it's going to happen and what they're asking about is the roadies. Roadies are rhododendrons, aren't they? Yes, they are. We're currently driving through a sea of pinks and purples interspersed with some whites and yellows and reds. We're absolutely surrounded by colour. We've got an important collection of rhododendrons here, so let's pull over here and have a closer look. Why are there so many rhododendrons at Quagside? When the property was first built and shooting was of a large interest, some of the varieties were probably put in as game cover for pheasants. Seeing the flowers much closer up, you get to see the sort of intricate beauty of them, this pom-pom of tiny little bell shapes. You can see spotting in different shades within the actual flower itself. And some of the spotting is actually bee tracks. Oh, cool. So they actually help the bees locate where they need to get in for the nectar and to pollinate the plants. We see it as spots, but the bees see it as the ultraviolet tracks. It's noticeably different, this part of the carriageway, with these much more sort of delicate azaleas. Beautiful sunshine yellow colour. Oh, let's have a smell then. Oh, it's a really strong, honey, floral smell. That's beautiful. There's a bit of an elephant in the room here, as me, a ranger, and you, a forester, talking about roadies. As a garden plant, rhododendrons are so beautiful. But if they get out into the wild, roadies are a real problem because it's become invasive. The Victorians were a bit too good at really breeding these sort of ironclad varieties. And one of the key species they used was the rhododendron ponticum. It's known to actually wage chemical warfare. So it releases chemicals into the soil that actually inhibits other plants from growing. One way we've really got creative with some of the rhododendrons on the upper estate is we've actually cut a labyrinth into them. Let's go and see if you can find your way out. We've stopped at what feels like the real centre of Cragside here and there's families milling around, kids playing. This is also where we've got the labyrinth in the forest of rhododendrons. I'll take a quick break and we'll see if you can find your way through it. Good luck. So we've come out into this clearing and this must be the centre of the labyrinth. There's different paths that are going off from this point so I'm going to try and find my way out. These towering rhododendrons gives it a really magical, mystical feel. There's gnarly tree roots and there's boulders in the way. Okay, back in the centre. 
gonna have to pick another way out. Oh, now there's a deer on a pole down here. Not literally, it's a, a carving of a deer. We're going around in circles. Come to another fork in the path. I might, might just find my way out of here. And there's George. I made out. Well done, Kate. Not many people make it out. Right, I need a pipe. Now you've completed your challenge, let's head to a little bit more of a relaxing area. You'll see great views and you'll also be able to appreciate how Cragside really defies physics. Just standing here on a big rocky boulder looking over the lake in front of me. We've got the conifer trees and then as usual Cragside you can see the moorland and the hills behind. But what's interesting I think about being here is there's a real sense of being sort of right at the top of a hill. Quite a strange place to have a lake. Although it looks very suited to its environment, it's completely artificial. With hydropower being the source of power at Cragside, these lakes were created up here on the actual very top of the hillside. These reservoirs acted as a great sort of battery really to store this water. From here it would travel down through gravity, down pipes, down to the powerhouse several hundred metres below us. And through that process is, is where that real head of water would generate enough force to turn the turbines and generate the power. From this vantage point here, you know, Cragside is absolutely huge. What does it take to actually manage a place like this? We've got a very small team. When things go wrong, like what we're going to see shortly with a, a real unscheduled management issue, that can really challenge and push the team to its limits. We've gone from these statuesque pine trees all around us to what looks like a, a devastating area, basically, where all these beautiful tall trees of all lying down on the ground, all crisscrossed over each other. I'll take you over to Chris Coase, who's the head forester, who's managing the clear-up of what's been happening, and he should be able to explain a bit more to you. Chris! Chris! Chris, can you come over for a second? Hello. Hello. Chris, this is Kate. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. So, George was telling us that he had somewhat of an unscheduled management issue to deal with. I'm guessing this was the impact of Storm Allen. Yes. So it was quite different sort of getting up after the storm. So we had power down, so we had no communications. And then seeing various areas of devastation. I'll just show you these images that's on my phone. So these are drone pictures? Oh my word. It's just swayed, isn't it? I mean, this looks literally like someone's dropped a load of matchsticks on the floor. Overall, I mean, we've lost in the thousands of trees. A lot of this woodland has been effectively torn up, mm. twisted, snapped. How do you even start to deal with what's in front of you here? Well, initially when it happened, it obviously closed the estate for a while and we brought in larger scale machines to actually gain access because we couldn't even get round the drive to begin with. And then we've pushed out across the estate in the coming months 
to get the carriage drive open, the labyrinth, the play area, all those sort of popular areas back open to the public again. It's quite a long road ahead. And we then also want to put the landscape back to what it would have been, so we're not going to see it in our lifetime, but future generations will sort of reap the benefits. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll leave you to it and stop distracting you. Well, thank you very much. So here we are, we're on the last leg of the safari. And if you look over to your right, you can see actually the open moorland of how things started before the estate was planted up. I can't really get over the scale and the drama and the contrasts of Cragside, you know, all in this one area. And it's absolutely mind blowing to think that this is all man-made. Well, potentially woman-made and designed really and project managed quite contrary to what was expected of Victorian women. Lady Armstrong was a, a real cornerstone of overseeing literally boulders being moved, trees being planted in particular places, which became the vision that is Cragside. Well, thanks so much for that, George. I've had such an amazing day. I've never been on a plant safari before, so it was really eye-opening. It's been a pleasure. true adventure, I think, coming to Cragside. Although, a lot of times, as a ranger, as a conservationist, I curse the Victorians for bringing these invasive species in. I also recognise that they were great pioneers, and a lot of the techniques that we use now to manage our landscapes came from them. I feel like I've travelled the world just in the last sort of few hours. Cragside is the kind of place you could come back to again and again and again and have a completely different experience every time. Most people have headed home and usually so would I be but actually I'm going off in a different direction because my adventure here at Cragside isn't over yet. For part two, I'm going to have the privilege of staying overnight for a mini staycation. I'm going towards the holiday cottages before setting off again to discover Cragside's secrets that only reveal themselves after dark. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. I hope you'll join me in part two of my Cragside adventure where I'll be going on a hair-raising nighttime expedition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favourite podcast app or go to nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts. Until next time, from me, Kate Martin, goodbye.